0: Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated by Miriam Gedweiser, in memory of Dr. Shmuel Meir Gedweiser. Shmuel Meir ben Yehoshua, Zeleg Vachaya ita. Hello, my name is Miriam Gedweiser, and I teach Talmud and Tanakh at the Drisha Institute, and at the Ramaz Upper School, both in New York. I've dedicated this episode in memory of my father, Dr. Shmuel Gedweiser Alav HaShalom, who modeled for me what lifelong perseverance, curiosity, and thirst for learning could look like. Seder Moed, as those who have been following along this podcast know, is the order of Mishnah that deals with laws of Shabbat and holidays. Our subject today... Tractate, or Masachet Chagigah, is the last tractate in Seder Moed, and its topic, broadly speaking, is the rules of pilgrimage. Masechet Chagigah comes last in Seder Moed because it's the shortest tractate in the Seder, with just 23 Mishnayot over its three chapters. The first tractate in the Seder, Shabbat, was the longest. Despite its brevity, however, I hope we will see that this Masechet touches on core issues of community, transmissibility, and the foundations of halakha, of Jewish law. The Jewish year has three pilgrimage festivals, Shalosh Regalim, in the parlance of Shemot or Exodus twenty-three fourteen. Each regal has its own temple-based ritual, be it the Korban Pesach on Passover, Bikurim or first fruits on Shavuot or the Lulav on Sukkot, which the rabbis understand to be biblically mandated for all seven days only in the temple. But these three festivals also share certain features in common. They're all pilgrimages, and in the rabbinic understanding, every festival not only requires the offerings that are particular to it, but obliges the pilgrim to bring what one might call generic pilgrimage sacrifices. Such sacrifices include the olat re'iyah, a holy burnt offering on the occasion of seeing or appearing in the temple, and the korban chagigah, a pilgrimage sacrifice that is partially consumed by the pilgrim himself. It is this latter korban, the korban chagigah, from which the masachet gets its name. We will return to the chagigah shortly. The first Mishnah in the Masechet begins Hakol Chayavin bar-re'iyah. all are obligated in Riya seeing, that is, in appearing in the temple according to a verse from Dvarim Deuteronomy, chapter sixteen, verse sixteen Shaloshpe Amin Bashana three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God on the festival of Matzot, which is Pesach, on Shavuot and on Sukkot. And the verse goes on to say, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. The obligation of Re'iyah in the Mishnah alludes not just to appearing, 'eh, but to bringing the Korban Re'iyah, the burnt offering of appearance. Immediately after telling us that all are obligated, the Mishnah begins a long list of those who are exempt. This list includes some groups that may be familiar from other rabbinic hierarchies of obligation, such as those considered mentally unfit, minors, people of ambiguous sex, women, and unfreed slaves. The Mishnah also goes on to exclude from their ri'iyah obligation additional categories of people, such as the blind, the sick, the elderly, and anyone who is physically incapable of making the pilgrimage which, remember, happened by foot over rough terrain. The Mishnah then records a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, the schools of Hillel and Shammai, over the definition of katan, minor, who is exempt from this mitzvah. Beit Shammai says the exempt child is one who cannot even ride on his father's shoulders to climb from the city of Jerusalem to the Temple Mount. Beit Hillel says a child is exempt as long as he cannot make the trek on his own two feet while holding his father's hand. I've long found this image of fathers taking even young sons on their journeys to Jerusalem very touching. From here, the Mishnah moves into another disagreement between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel about the minimum amounts pilgrims must spend on the Ri'iyah and Chagigah sacrifices, and then into a general discussion of the types of assets that may or should be devoted to those two sacrifices. In Mishnah Vav, Mishnah Six, the Mishnah introduces the idea of makeup days. The korban chagigah should be brought on the first day of the festival, but what if it isn't? According to the Mishnah, one who did not bring the korban chagigah on the first day of Sukkot may make it up for a full week through Shmini Atzeret. One who missed even the makeup days, however, is out of luck. And the Mishnah cites a verse from Ecclesiastes from Kohelet, chapter one, verse fifteen, to describe that person's predicament. Me'uvat Lo Yuchal Litkon, Machisaron, Lo yuchal A twisted thing cannot be made straight, a lack cannot be made good. Apropos of that verse, the Mishnah segues into two other interpretations of this same verse giving alternative explanations of what is this thing that cannot be made straight or good again. Rabbi Shimon ben Manasseh applies the verse from Kohelet to one of the most challenging and heart-wrenching cases in the Torah, a man who impregnates a married woman, not his own wife, and causes the birth of a mom's heir, who by Torah law may not marry Jews of ordinary heritage. No matter how much Chuva, how much repentance the adulterous parents do, they can never change the status of their child. Rabbi Shimon ben Yuchai goes in a completely different direction. The thing that cannot be untwisted is a Torah scholar who has forsaken his Torah. Let's go back for a minute to the language in the initial Mishnah about makeup sacrifices and their limits. Mi shaloh b'yom tovarishon shal One who did not chag... Which means one who did not celebrate, but here the word is being used hyperliterally to mean one who did not chag, i.e., one who did not bring a chagiga offering. Such a person has one week to make up the offering, or as the Mishnah says, one week to be chogeg. Again, the Mishnah uses a verb that might be more simply interpreted as celebrate to connote a technical requirement for a celebratory offering. This hyperliteral reading, in fact, is the Torah source for the chagiga obligation itself. There is no verse in the Torah that says, "When you come to Jerusalem for the festivals, bring an offering called a chagiga," at least not in so many words. But when the Torah says in Shmot, "Shalosh Rigalim tachog li bashana," celebrate three pilgrimages for God per year. Tachog comes to mean bring a chagiga. If this derivation sounds tenuous to you, you are not alone. We are about to see that the sages of the Mishnah themselves grappled with exactly that issue. Right after Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's statement about Torah scholars, the Mishnah actually turns to the topic of Torah study itself. As an aside, this is an interesting example of how even the seeming tangents in the Mishnah in our case, a statement of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that at first seems almost like free association based on a biblical verse, unconnected to the original flow of the Mishnayot, in fact may be carefully constructed to align with the topic of the tractate going forward. Mishnah Chet, Mishnah 8, divides areas of halachic study into three categories. The first, the power of sages to annul vows, is described as porchin ba'avir, flying in the sky, and they have nothing to lean on. That is, they have no obvious textual basis in the Bible. The second category, which includes Shabbat and Chagigot, are described as hararim hatiluim Basiara, a description that is generally translated as mountains hanging by a thread. Professor Michal Barasher Siegel has suggested an alternative reading of something like Desert Plants with Insubstantial Roots. In the words of the Mishnah, these topics that are hanging by a thread or insubstantially rooted have mikra mu'at v'halachot mirubot, few verses but many laws. The third category of laws in our Mishnah are the most well-grounded such as laws of the temple service, of purity, and of forbidden sexual encounters. These have al smohu, what to rest themselves on. The inclusion of this Mishnah in our Masechet seems to betray some rabbinic unease with the ostensible topic of the Tractate itself, as well as with the very long Tractate Shabbat that anchors all of Seder Moed. Both Chagigot and Shabbat are topics that the Mishnah itself here refers to as hanging by a thread, or insubstantially rooted, too many laws for the small amount of space devoted to them in the Torah. If the Chagigah sacrifice is insufficiently connected to the text, we can only wonder what will become of the laws of the Chagigah when the Temple itself is unavailable and these laws become loosened not only from the text, but from their real-life application as well. The Gemara in Masechet Chagigah deals indirectly with exactly that question, but we'll have to wait for a different podcast series to discuss that. So ends chapter 1. Segwaying off the mention of Arayot, forbidden sexual relations in the previous Mishnah, chapter 2 begins with a list of topics that must be taught in restricted settings. Arayot, forbidden sexual encounters, should be expounded upon to a group of not more than two students at a time. Ma'aseh Bereshit, an esoteric body of knowledge connected to creation, may not be expounded upon even to two students at a time. And Ma'aseh kava, an even more esoteric realm of knowledge, may not be directly taught to even one student unless he demonstrates that he can understand it on his own. This Mishnah then concludes with a warning against studying esoteric topics such as what is above and what is below, what is before and what is after. After having raised concerns about transmission of what seem to be vital areas, the Mishnah here has retreated a bit suggesting our focus should remain in the familiar territory of concrete rituals, it is almost as if to say it is this embodiment in the form of ritual that keeps the teachings alive. Chapter 2 moves on to provide a list of zugot, pairs of rabbis who led the Sanhedrin, who all disagreed, one pair after another, about whether to do smicha on Yom Tov. Smicha is a ritual pressing of hands on the sacrificial animal's head by the animal's owner. Cryptically, we learn that one pair, Hillel and someone named Menachem, agreed. But then Yetzal Menachem, Menachem went out somewhere, Shammai came in, and the disagreements continued as before. The Mishnah then presents two additional disagreements between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai about the specifics of the pilgrimage sacrifices. At this point, almost exactly the middle of the tractate, in Chapter 2, Mishnah He, Mishnah 5, the Mishnah switches gears. What follow are a series of laws about different levels of ritual purity. For example, agricultural gifts, such as teruma and ma'aser, tithes, require less stringent ritual purification to permit their consumption than do sacrifices. Sacrifices, in turn, require less stringent standards for contacting them than do the me'chatat, the purifying waters derived from the red heifer. And one who has ritually purified himself with one goal in mind – say, the consumption of ordinary food in a state of purity, may not rely on that purification to consume food of a stricter level of sanctity. This extreme protection of sacred objects means, in practical terms, that the personal effects of even very pious people, such as Yossi ben Yo'ezer described in Mishnah 7 as chasid shibikuna, pious among the priests, could still transmit ritual impurity to those who wish to consume sacrifices. Here, we come to one of the ironies of Masechet Chagiga. We began with the word Hakol, everyone. The pilgrimage festival is supposed to be a time of unification for the entire people. Even in the first Mishnah, we learned that most people are not actually included in the pilgrimage obligations. But the inclusionary sense of the opening line still lingers. And yet, hordes of people from all backgrounds converging on the temple is not a simple matter. Most Jews did not maintain the high standards necessary for contact with sacred items, and the communal mixing in Jerusalem over the festival generated a series of complex laws to navigate these divergent standards. Whom could the more scrupulous adherents trust in the marketplace? Beginning in chapter 3, Mishnah 4, the Mishnah presents a series of rules about who can be trusted to make what sorts of statement about the purity status of various goods. In one particularly striking example, Mishnah 6 says that Jewish thieves who stole vessels but then returned them are trusted to report that they did not touch the inside of the vessels and hence have not ritually defiled them. Despite all these careful rules, Mishnayot seven and eight explained that after the holiday was over, the priests would purify nearly all of the vessels of the temple out of an assumption that someone in the crowd had defiled them. The chapter and the tractate ends with a disagreement about the reason that the two altars did not require ritual immersion during this post holiday cleanup. If we consider the progression of the Masechet as a whole, we can see a few interesting things. First, the theme of creating community and the tensions of inclusion and exclusion that it presents is woven through the Masechet. Hakol, everyone, goes on pilgrimage, except those who don't. And when everyone is together, the rabbis wish to rigorously protect boundaries of ritual purity, even as they also make allowances for interactions between Jews of all stripes. Ultimately, the rabbis acknowledge that boundaries will almost inevitably be broken by someone and will require correction after the holiday. Second, the question of how all these laws are connected to the Torah to begin with. We saw the remarkable Mishnah that refers to the laws of Chagigah the laws after which the Masechet is named as insubstantially connected to the Torah text. That same Mishnah's apparent preference for the solidly grounded categories of law may explain why fully half of this Masechet deals with questions of purity and impurity, two of the well-grounded categories listed in the Mishnah. It is as if the Mishnah's preoccupation with the ritual status of people and things during the holiday is an attempt to ground the celebration in the Torah in a way that a focus on the Chagiga offering itself cannot provide. Third, the Mishnah's apparent digression into questions of how sensitive topics may be transmitted, and its listing of disagreeing pairs of rabbis, both exhibit rabbinic sensitivity, and perhaps distress, not only over how some topics are connected to the Torah text, but how any of this knowledge can be reliably handed down at all. And yet, the very study of Mishnah is in its own way an answer to that last question. As we learn this Masechet and raise these issues for ourselves, we are taking our place in the chain of transmission, Be'ezrat Hashem to continue for many generations to come. With that, I will say the beginning of the customary recitation at the completion of a significant chunk of Torah study In our case, the completion of Seder Moed. Hadran Allah Seder Moed. We will return to you, Seder Moed. The Hadrach Alan. You will return to us. And in fact, hopefully, these brief introductions have inspired you to return again and again to the study of Mishnah more in depth. Thank you for listening. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjofa.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.